I can close in prayer right now. As that song's going through our head, that's it, isn't it? That's the gospel. That's why we're here. Whew, thank you, Ira. That was so good. We're so blessed to have a wonderful worship team and those that serve the Lord faithfully and to lead us into worship before our King. And that's who we're here to celebrate today, right? Our King. Not maybe a king. He is king. And just hearing that song and thinking, you know, I just, in my mind, just hearing the words and all again, but just thinking, you know, as Andrew and John the Baptist were looking out together, and John the Baptist looked down and said, there he is. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist declared it right then. There's the one to follow. Not me. There he is. And just as we were thinking about this in the palm trees, and, you know, we see this, and we are celebrating that moment today, and we're going to take a certain look at that, at that event. But just thinking, as he's coming in as king, he's also on that colt as a lamb. Think about it. He is reigning king, but also coming into Jerusalem with the mindset that I'm going to be a sacrifice. I'm the lamb of God, riding in on that donkey for the mission, the fulfillment of what the Father had established. And we're going to look at that today and our part in that and what the Lord desires of us. Even this week, very excited to be able to share and encourage you this morning. That's what this morning is. This morning is going to be like a pep rally for you and me to be your cheerleader. I also see it in the sense of a battle strategy like we're in a tent in warfare and you've got the big map laid out on the table and you've got the mission and everybody strategically placed. Say, okay, you're going to come from the flank. You're going to come from here. And this is going to be a mission Sunday because of what we're approaching this week and what this is all about and what this week is for us in our faith. You guys realize the importance of this week, do you not? Globally, for our faith, for who we are, and for Christianity, the eyes of the world are upon us this week, more than any other time, even more than Christmas. We talk about the incarnation, and the incarnation had to happen, or this week is what? Pointless. But guess what? If this week didn't happen, the incarnation was what? Pointless. They're connected. There's a reason, and this is so important for us, and as I'm going to encourage you this week. So if you go to Luke chapter 19, we're going to have a little bit of a unique time this morning. I'm going to share a little bit, and then we're going to have three individuals come up and kind of display what we're going to talk about this morning and share some things that God has been doing this past week on a mission trip to kind of bring some meat to this and testimony. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. This event is one of the only ones in all the Gospels. You know how the Gospels are written a certain way and strategically written to different folks. But this event is in all the Gospels, and each one takes a little bit more of an emphasis than others. But I want to highlight one aspect in Luke 19 to encourage us this morning that we read many times. And, you know, we're going through the book of Acts on Wednesdays, and the Lord's been speaking to me and going through a lot and preparing for those teachings and things. And this really stood out, this one aspect of Jesus coming in and just really convicted me about some things for me personally, and then also to encourage you guys as well. So Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And I hope as we read this and as I share and encourage you, as we've been seeing in Acts, you know, Acts of the Apostles, it should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit, is just a big story. It's like a giant movie. And so as we see the Gospels, it's the same thing. There aren't any, it's not like a teaching or you know, breaking down like Paul does in some of the letters. But what I want you to see here, even in this story, is the nature of God, his character, his ways, bringing out a part of who he is, the heart of the Lord through this situation, and to let him speak in that way and to encourage us. So Acts, I mean, Luke chapter 19, verse 28, and after he, Jesus, had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, 
Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as Jesus had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners, you can imagine, said to them, um, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. So right there, I want to first establish one attribute of God. Have you ever thought the uniqueness of this little situation? It's just out of the blue, out of nowhere. Why is Jesus commanding them to go find a donkey? And not just a donkey, but a colt, which means a young one of a donkey, like a son of a mother donkey. And it has significance. This is establishing again and continuing to show with God's authority, his power, his sovereignty, his providence over all things. Because the only reason this is in here is because it was prophesied hundreds of years ago in Zechariah 9. Okay? And you don't have to go there, just listen. Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A little specific, isn't it? <laughs> and just to establish in part of God's nature, he's a God of the detail. He is strategic and unique, and he cares about the details of life. And this one was uniquely done because God had to say, what I prophesied hundreds of years ago, I am truthful, I am true, I'm going to fulfill my promises. And this was, a, like again, a divine signpost. God was sticking in the ground for his people, primarily the apostles, to one day go back and say, as John brings up in his gospel, they didn't understand why Jesus was doing this at the time. John mentions that. We didn't understand why. But later on, once this is all done, ding, 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 Holy Spirit light bulb goes off. So later down the road, they'd be able to go, guys, remember when he came in and all this happened, the palms and all this? It was fulfilling a prophecy of God from the Old Testament. And it would show that God was truthful and his promises were going to be fulfilled. God had a plan, very detailed plan. So just to put that forth, that's why that's there. Not just, oh, I need to ride in. He could have been on a carriage, a chariot, a cart, you know, could have rode a horse. But God had him ride a colt of a foal of a donkey. And it's amazing. That in itself is a wow factor of God, that little story there. But again, it just shows the nature of God and what he was doing here. So then into verse We'll go on in verse 35. So they said, the Lord has need of it. And again, obviously, the owners what? Gave him the colt. Without even a question. So God in his providence again used these people and were speaking. Did something in the hearts of the owner of the donkey to say, okay, you can have it. No questions asked. So they brought it to Jesus, verse 35, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as he was approaching Near the descent of the Mount of Olives. So he's up on a hill. Jerusalem sits down. I've never been there, but I've seen pictures. So he's coming down into it. He can see Jerusalem in the distance. So near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Okay, again, significant. I've been, as I was praying and studying this week, I found um, a little devotional by John Piper. He put a new one together for this Holy Week. And I wanted to read just a couple excerpts of different things that he emphasizes on this. And he just brings some good wisdom and points. Much smarter man than I. He said, um, he said first the crowds praised God for Jesus' mighty works. Now remember, just because it says disciples, this was 
multitudes. It wasn't just the 12, but these were just people that followed Jesus for possibly years, seeing him do all of these things. So Piper goes on to say he had healed leprosy with a touch. He had made the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. He had commanded the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. He had stilled storms and walked on water. He turned five loaves and two fish into a meal for thousands. So as Jesus entered Jerusalem, they knew nothing could stop this man. Think about the mindset of everybody. If you saw that power being manifested, and this was the man doing it, and the mindset of the the Jews at the time was wanting to be free of whom? Rome. They see this power man, this revolutionary, he's going to come with power. Piper goes on to say he could just speak and Pilate would perish. Freedom! That's what they're thinking. The Romans would be scattered, and Piper, I mean, uh, Piper ends this, Jesus was sovereign. They knew when they came in saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they knew Isaiah 9-7, where it says, of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They were looking to a king to come in and take over. Israel would be reestablished. And again, you can only imagine the heart of Jesus at the time, knowing as he's hearing this and seeing this, he knows that's what? That's not the intent. That's not God's heart for this moment. So as he's coming in and everybody expressing this, he is king of the universe at this time. That doesn't change anything. It's a different mindset, though, in what they're expecting. But again, this being the mind of God at the time, just to give this context. And then in verse 38, with this in mind, all the miracles thinking, here comes the man of power. They declare, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Most other other gospels, they're shouting as we did today. Hosanna, meaning save now. Deliver us now. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. What was Jesus declaring here? I'm worthy of praise. Regardless of these people shouting or the rocks and nature itself crying out, I know I'm worthy of praise. I am king. I'm worthy of this. And here's the part I want to emphasize that Luke brings out in the other ones. The other gospels do not. And you, sometimes we just miss this and it speaks so much. So as Jesus said that, I tell you that if these do not cry out, the actual stones will worship me. And Jesus approached Jerusalem. He saw the city and wept over it. So at this moment, I want you to picture sitting on the hill, looking down upon Jerusalem after hearing all of these acclamations and coats being put before him and all of these shouts of joy and acclamations. He looks down upon Jerusalem and begins to weep. Sometimes we forget that part of this story. That as Jesus is coming in, he's dealing with a strong emotion and falling. So I want you to picture that. And then this is what Jesus is declaring, him weeping at this moment, looking upon the city. And Jesus declares, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. 
in this moment of the acclimates of a king, he's weeping and showing an intense amount of mercy and compassion toward a city that he knows will reject him. And through rejection and pain and suffering, he's prophesying. You guys remember what this entails. In A.D. 70, this comes to pass. The temple in Jerusalem gets destroyed by Rome. So even at this moment of grief and on mission, because Jesus knew this is it. When I enter this city, I'm giving my life. This is the culmination from the beginning. This is where it all comes to a head for the sake of us, every one of us in this room. This is where it comes to a head is Jesus entering in, weeping over this city, showing his compassion and mercy, knowing that he still loves this city and these people. Knowing they're going to reject him, knowing they're going to put him on a cross, and knowing that some of these behind him crying, Hosanna, blessed is the king, a few days later will cry out what? Crucify him. So just think about the heart of our Lord. And again, about us, how this plays out. Looking upon this city and recognizing that he says, you're going to miss the day of your visitation. When the kingdom of God is coming in, me, I'm your peace. I'm the kingdom. My rule and reign is coming, and you're going to miss it, and you're going to reject it. And God still had compassion at that moment to look upon them. Piper went on to say in this little part, just real brief, he said, Jesus wept over the blindness and the impending misery of Jerusalem. He said, how would you describe these tears? Piper said, I would call them tears of sovereign mercy. The effect they should have on us is to make us admire Christ and treasure him above all others and to worship him as our sovereign, merciful king. And when we have seen the beauty of his mercy, we become merciful with him and like him and for his glory. Just that moment of recognizing what Jesus did and how he responded should do something in us. And that's what I want to encourage us with this week. I look across this room, knowing most of you, And I know we all have experienced what he just declared. We've experienced the visitation of the Lord. The kingdom coming in, the rule and reign of God coming to us in all of his power and all of his glory, bringing repentance, bringing salvation, bringing transformation in our lives. And once that happens, as Greg did a wonderful job last week expressing this to us, once we recognize that and it happened within, what takes place? Change. And then, in turn, as he, we just read, as that mercy that we have experienced from his visitation, in turn, does something in us to then make it do what? Go out. And guys, we have an amazing opportunity this week. This is a strategic time. This is Strategy Sunday. This could be a moment where people we know and love, from family to friends to coworkers to others around, can experience the visitation of the Lord. They can experience the King coming in experiencing his power and his glory and his compassion in and through us this week as we celebrate this week twofold as as seth wonderfully prayed we are to recognize this week what god has done for us in his plan of redemption how he went to the cross for us how he took our sin the wrath of god upon himself for cj i deserve death i deserve hell i deserve the grave But Jesus took my place. And recognizing that this week and rejoicing and worshiping him in that capacity then should do something in me in the same moment, too full, to then go, that can't stay here. It cannot stay within. 
I've got to recognize an opportunity this week. And this is lifestyle Christianity. I'll talk about true. But this week, we have to recognize the moment we have. And as we just saw, God is a God of details and a God of sovereignty and a God of divine appointments to orchestrate things for us. We're going to do a little scripture medley before I have some folks come up and share what I'm talking about and actually lived it this past few weeks. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Very familiar passages. But I just pray the Holy Spirit right now is just stirring something in us to get us excited and realizing the moment we have today in this week before us. And guys, isn't it amazing even too, strategically, it's spring break during Holy Week. That's an amazing thing. It is an opportunity where God has, again, used the sports and lofted us a big softball and just prepared us because we have an opportunity on our vacations, on our spring breaks, and our moments with family and others to have an opportunity to be salt and light and ambassadors for Christ and participate with the glory of God and his mission on bringing the visitation of his presence to people. We do this week. And we need to, my encouragement as my job, to wave the banner of awareness and say, here's an opportunity that comes around once a year when the world is looking in to Easter and all these type of things that we could say we have an opportunity to ask questions and to share our faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Very familiar. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. No no one may boast. Justification, verse 8. Amen. That's our salvation. That's what we're here for today. We're here because we've experienced verse 8. God has justified us. He has saved us by his grace through faith. When that transformation takes place, as... Greg said last week, change is done, transformation takes place, and that leads us into verse 10. Y'all see that? Verse 10 is now sanctification. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Prepared in advance, good works, moments, appointments, opportunities for us through our salvation. And we're equipped for it. Every one of us in here are battle ready. What do you, any of you lack in Christ? Nothing. You're fully equipped, fully ready, fully mobilized. As we submit ourselves, yield ourselves, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Holy Spirit, we are fully ready to walk out in these good works and the opportunities and divine appointments God has for us. Another scripture to tie in just with God's overall sovereignty into preparing for us works in advance. Very familiar. Acts chapter 17, this has been read many times from this pulpit. Acts chapter 17. I love these verses that declare and show God's supremacy over all things. Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. If y'all get that, I'm going to say it again. He is, nor is God served by human hands as though he needed anything. Does God need us? No. But he so desires and so longs for us to participate, to be a part of his work and what he has done in and through us, to come along with him, to join in this mission. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, and he made from one man every nation of mankind, that is Adam, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times 
and the boundaries of their habitation. That they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why did God sovereignly place peoples and nations in the specific places and times through history? God orchestrated all of it. From the, if y'all just meditated, we meditated on the Tower of Babel alone <laughs> for a little while. When God orchestrated that in all the languages, and then they all went, went. God orchestrated sovereignly the appointed times and places where all of those nations, all of those languages, all of those tongues would go. Why? Verse 27. So that people would seek God, that they might grope for him and then find him. To know him. To experience his presence. To know God intimately. That is the God we serve. That is the God we rejoice in today. The king we worship and declare. 1 John chapter 3. Go there quickly before we have our folks come up. 1 John chapter 3. I saw this. Lisa posted this verse this week, and I'm like, hmm, let me go there. This fits well. Thank you, Lisa Rose. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Again, familiar passage. We know love by this. This is what we're experiencing this week, what we celebrate this week, the sacrificial love of God, that Jesus laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Man, what a wonderful thing we've been called into. We've experienced the sacrificial love. We've experienced Jesus laying his life down for us. And just as John is expressing here, it's an automatic outflow that in turn we go, Lord, wow, my life should be laid down for others. That should be a part of our lifestyle, a part of who we are, our DNA, everything about us. That we see the need, we walk it out. And what I love about verse 18, and it's true, that we live, we love with word and with tongue. And he's also emphasizing in deed and truth. Because obviously I love what St. Francis of Assisi says, and we've all quoted it many times. Preach the gospel to the whole world. And if necessary, what? Use words. Well, saints, I want to put before you, and that's absolutely true. But from what I read of scripture and see, we're going to have to use what? Words. We're going to have to declare truth. And especially in a day such as this, people need to know why your behavior is the way it is, why you are different, why you're set apart, why you treat people differently, why your actions are maybe unique and very other centered and self-sacrificing as we just read here. Because then you need to speak and say it's because of a person who is God and his name is Jesus. We have to be voice of truth beyond just the, um, the deed and actions. There must be truth that comes forth that we've been called to. And we've all experienced it. We've experienced that truth, and it's just flow out of us. And this week especially, I'm so excited, we have an amazing opportunity. Last verse, Isaiah 46. Love this one again. And again, saints, I'm reading these things just to say this is the God we serve. This is where his power lies, his sovereignty, his control, his providence. He's in control of things. He establishes things. He has order. He is a God of the details. He orchestrates things for his purposes and then calls us into it for his purposes. 
Isaiah 46, verse 8. Man, I go back to this one time and time again when I'm struggling with stuff. And the Lord declares, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done. Saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Whether it's calling a bird of prey from the east or the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. There are things this week that that verse has already set up. There are things this week for every single one of us in this room, every one of us, man, woman, child, that God has orchestrated and purposed for his kingdom and his glory this week for you and me. Fact, an absolute fact. And what I want to encourage you this morning is for us to ask him and be aware of that and to say, Lord, show me that I can join with you this week on where you want to visit. Where do you want to come in and display and show your love and grace and mercy, your heart of sacrifice and compassion and love this week that I can be a part of, joining in with the visitation of God. And that's what he's called us to. And again, for those going on vacation, enjoy your family. Be together, obviously. Enjoy the Lord with them. But be aware as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't take a vacation from that. Right? We never take a vacation from God or being salt and light or take our ambassador card off and say, I'm on vacation. Taking a break for a week from being an ambassador of the king. No. In the midst of all that, pray for divine appointments. Ask God, Lord, orchestrate things. There could be a person, as we're about to hear, that God uniquely has set aside for you this week. Could be just one, maybe multiple. And we have opportunities to connect and to see God move in such a way that may blow your mind this week. As we worship him for who he is and recognize the beauty of this week and in turn what we've been called to. So just to express some of this, and I'm going to close. I'm going to ask if Miss, Mr. Alex Hood would come up and Miss Patsy Davidson, soon to be Patsy Hood in May. They're engaged, by the way. Yeah. Come on up. And then my son, Joseph, if they'll come up. These three individuals had an opportunity to, uh, this past week for their college spring break. Um, really good. For their college spring break, they took the time to go to New York and uh, do ministry and to sow through the Baptist campus ministries. And so when I was praying about this and time, I was like, Lord, ding, ding. He went, they got to share. And they want to just see what God has been up to. So they're going to share briefly to them just about what God has done or a moment, just whatever's on their heart. Um, I'm going to talk, just give y'all a little brief kind of what we were doing there, what our purpose was, and then I'm going to share two little things that I learned and that I felt like the Lord kind of taught me this week. So we were working with a group called Passport New York, and we were working mainly the group area, like the area where it was, was Upper West Side. But what they did is they had about probably eight to ten different activities or places we could go. So when we got there, we were able to sign up for which little activity, they called them tracks. So we were able to sign up for which track we wanted to work with. There was two or three different ones going. You know, you'd walk around and you'd get to talk to, like, Muslims or people and try to share with them. Or there was one, uh, I think, that they did, they'll talk about, where they got to go, you know, hang little um, 
door hangers on doors and try to, you know, promote church planners. And there's tons of different ones you got to work with kids. Well, for me, I was looking at the list that they had, and I was kind of just like, Lord, where am I supposed to be? Like, all these sound awesome, and I'm ready to go wherever. Like, like CJ was talking about, you know, we're fully ready. We have everything we need in Christ. And I was like, Lord, I'm ready. Where do you want me to go? And um, I was kind of looking down, and I saw one of them wasn't like a, you know, go share and go do this, but it was a um, stay around that specific place. It was called MNYBA, um, the Metropolitan New York Baptist Association. And we would stay there, and I looked on the thing, and it was talking about, like, cleaning and, you know, just kind of serving the people there, serving the ministers there. And we would also get to hand out, like, cookies and brownies to, like, the local area around there. And I was like, well, that one sounds good. You know, I love baking, so I guess we'll try that one. And so I got there, and the first day um, we baked, like, 100 brownies, and, you know, we did that kind of stuff. And then people got to go hand them out, and they said, okay, y'all stay in the kitchen, y'all do this. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm ministering, all right. You know, I, I guess this is good. And so the end of the day, you know, we, we did that. And the next day we cooked the staff's homemade lasagna. And then we went and got groceries and just kind of doing housekeeping things and cleaning a little bit. And I'm like, I'm on a mission trip. All right. You know, gospel's being shared. So, you know, Wednesday happens and I'm kind of just like a little discouraged because I'm like, Lord, I'm hearing all these stories about them going and having conversations with these people. And I'm like, well, this is awesome. I'm glad. But, you know, Lord, is, was, did I pick the wrong one? Like, is this where I'm supposed to be? And so I was praying. I'm like, Lord, if I need to go somewhere else, I feel like I should tell them that I need to change or something. And so Wednesday came along, and we were baking cookies. Now, I love baking cookies. And so when we got to Wednesday, I was like, all right, maybe this will be better. And um, I know this is kind of silly, but there were a couple things that day that I knew I could tell that it was from the Lord that validated that I needed to be there. Because they had some problems with the recipe. They had some questions like, well, this happened. What do we do? And I was like, oh, you just do that. And they're like, wow, we're glad you're here. And I was like, all right, maybe maybe I'm supposed to be there. So I feel like the Lord taught me that he had that specific place for me. Like, I was willing. I was ready to go. I was ready to go, like, straight up to people. Hi, do you know Jesus? Like, I was was ready to go, but the Lord had a different plan for me. He had the plan for me to just stay and minister to the ministers. Because if we didn't clean and do all the things that, and bake and do all that kind of stuff, they would have to do that. And that would hinder them from sending other people and doing their job. So I would say the first thing I learned is that he has a specific place for you. You're not there by accident. He put you in that place. He put me in that place because he knew that the gifts that he has given me would be used there. And yeah, I could have gone on another one. But in that specific instance, I knew that the Lord had me there for a reason. And Like I said, at first it was a little discouraging, but the more that I trusted in him and I was like, all right, Lord, you put me here. I'm going to do the best that I can do. And we got so many compliments on those cookies. (laughs) So I know know that that's where the Lord had me. The the second one is God will use you if you're just willing to submit. He'll use you. So if you just say, Lord, wherever you have me, that's. I want to go do your. I want to go do your will. You may want to go out there and run and start preaching the gospel to people, but he may have something different for you. He may have something that maybe other people wouldn't want to do because maybe other people want to go do that. So just be aware and just be in tune with the Lord, just to know where He has for you. And if you don't, just keep praying about it. Because for me, like I said, I got a little discouraged, but after knowing and getting some validation from the Lord, I knew that that that's where I needed to be, and we were able to minister to them in a way that other people couldn't. So that's what I learned from New York.
Joseph and I were on the same track, which was, was really cool. We, we were staying in Queens at the New York School of Urban Ministry, uh, but our group of, bad with numbers, 14 of us uh, were working on Staten Island. So to get there, that took about two hours from Queens every, every morning to get over there. And uh, that, that was cool because it had opportunities to talk with people on the subway, seeing people trying to get to work, and then uh, riding the ferry every morning past the Statue of Liberty um, and getting to talk with people on the ferry. Um, it, it was cool opportunity also to, to sit there and observe what was going on in the city and asking God to open your eyes to what he sees in the city and those people um, going from place to place, uh, not knowing their stories, but God knows their stories. Um, things that I learned, I learned um, that God is in control and moving. Uh, heard that from a lot of testimonies of, of what God was doing, talking with other missionaries, working on the same project, but then also other missionaries were staying in the building doing completely different projects, working with completely different people. And so it was cool to see how God was in control and moving. Second thing I learned was um, New Yorkers are like pineapples. <laughs> they, there's a lot of times a very hard external barrier that they put up uh, to conversations. But if you... Uh, get into conversation with them, you, you find a much softer interior and you're able to talk with them. Um, it, it was cool. Uh, I was able to get into a conversation with one lady just by asking her about, um, she had a, uh, a Kindle uh, and I asked her, how's the battery life on your Kindle? <laughs> and I was able to then get into a conversation a whole lot deeper, but uh, just being able to to get into conversations with people, small things. We, I saw this guy, and he had a, a, a long skateboard called a longboard. I don't know anything about longboarding, but I just asked him, how is it longboarding in New York? And <laughs> that, that led into a really cool conversation. He, he was actually a missionary there in New York uh, working with another agency, but he was able to sit there on the train with us. We were riding in the same direction. Um, met him on the ferry. He rode with us on the train into Staten Island. And he spent probably 30 minutes just encouraging our group uh, about ministry. Um, so that, that was cool how God uses small things to spark conversations. Um, and he, he did that many times. The last thing uh, that I learned and observed in New York, there's 22 million uh, people I learned that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and uh, that that was something that uh, was an encouragement coming back. Uh, I, I remember I, I can see that the harvest is also plentiful here in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, the, the one thing that I, I noticed, culture shift coming back to Montgomery, uh, after spending a week trying to uh, find ways to spark conversation with people, it's so much easier to spark conversations here in Montgomery. Uh, <laughs> I went over to the mall to get some Chick-fil-A because I hadn't had sweet tea in a week. And uh, it was so much easier to get into conversations with people uh, at the mall in Montgomery, Alabama. 
but still using those small things to get into conversations was really cool. That, that's what God taught me in New York. Okay, like Alex said, I was in the same group with him, and uh, the whole week we were just doing door hangers for a church plant and, uh, on the south shore of Staten Island. And to give a little background on the area that we were at, it's called Woodrow, and it, there are a lot of Italians there, like a lot. And um, if you know my family, we really own our Italian heritage. So I knew that if I got into a conversation with someone, I could have, like, a way to talk to them and be like, yeah, hey, I'm Italian too, you know. And so, uh, so there was one point on Wednesday, and I really, this is really cool, but um, the, we, we ran out of door hangers. And we, the ones that he ordered were going to be there at 2. So he said, hey, let's just go to the park and talk with people. We have a little bit left over, and you can just pass them out, and you can do the survey where you can ask them two questions, and then maybe that can spark a conversation. I was like, sweet, that's awesome. And he said, there's also a bocce court there. And for any of you who know who bocce is, it's an Italian sport where you throw a little ball to the little uh, white ball, and you try to get it close, and the Italians love it. And so I knew, and I've, and I've played it before, so I knew, oh, gosh, I'm going to go there and like maybe just talk with some older guys. You know, I don't know. And so, yeah, we headed over there. And I was with another guy named Wesley, and he also has an Italian heritage, so we are both kind of like tag-teaming it. Uh, we, we walk over to the bocce court, and there are two older Italian men sitting there. And we were like, is it cool if we sit and watch? And they're like, yeah, you know, that's totally cool. And so I just kind of used my Italian heritage and, n- like, my knowledge of bocce to kind of just spark a conversation with the man. And uh, his name was Lou Fasciolo, and um, he was a really cool guy. And... Uh, it was a real uh, encouraging situation. So I actually, the, the survey, we were, see, they were waiting to play bocce because the court was wet. If you know what a bocce court is, it has like a little sand stuff. And uh, so they were waiting. I was like, hey, could I ask you a couple questions? We're doing a survey while we wait. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So the first question was, what is the most important thing to you like, out of everything? And he said, health. And the second question is, why? And he's like, well, I want to live. So I was like, okay. So, yeah. And so I kind of took that somehow. I don't really remember, but I took that conversation and brought it into a heaven and hell conversation. And he was like, oh, you want to talk about that stuff? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, and I actually had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. It was so cool. And, um, and he had a he, – he, I could tell he, – he, he told me he was Catholic and that he was a very bad Catholic. And uh, – and I asked him, so, like, where do you think you'd go if you died? Uh, and he said, I'd go to hell. And I was just like, whoa, that caught me off guard. Like, I was not expecting that. And he said, I've done really bad things, like very bad things. And so I took that, and I was like, I'm going to go off of that. I'm going to start talking about Jesus, you know. And I did, but he, he liked to talk. So I had to sit there and listen, you know. And, but I got, I got my points across, so that's the good thing. But um, it was just really encouraging to talk to him. And, uh. So, anyways, like they, and I got to share the gospel as much as I possibly could because he would like to tell, he would like to give his opinion, and then I talk. Um, one thing he did note to me is that um, his sister, and this is in his words, he said, "My sister became a born again Christian," and he used the, the term "born again," and it really caught my eye that like his sister had actually talked to him and like shared the gospel with him and gave him. Like, had actually spoken to him, and I was like, maybe I'm the guy that's supposed to water the seed that she planted a long time ago. And so that was really cool. And so eventually he just kind of knew people came up, and he started playing bocce, and we we watched for a while, and just I kind of built that relationship further. It was fun. And so later that day we leave there, and um, 
it was really cool. So a girl from my group looked him up because he had told us his daughter, Carla Fasciola, was on the show Mob Lives, like one of the stars on the show. And so we were like, I was like, oh, okay. You know, it kind of caught me off guard. And then uh, the girl in my group looked him up, and he has his own article, and it's called, it's titled Louis Fasciolo, A Friend Betrayed. And I was like, whoa. And like, and this is after I leave. And so we were talking and stuff, and he was like almost in the mafia. Like he had done stuff. And so, and I was like, whoa, okay. And I, I was really bold with this man. Like I was totally going at it. Like, and I, what, I was thinking like, how would it have changed if I knew all the things he had done and what type of person he was? But, you know, I just love how God worked that out, you know. But God used me to water the seeds. And I don't know how, he was, how he's doing right now, but we should be praying for him. What was cool is the next day we were doing door hangers again, you know, going our way. And we finished the section. And I look over in the parks there, and I see another team with Wesley, the guy that went over to talk with me earlier today. And, the, and I got a text from Wesley, and he said, Lou is looking for you. And I was like, <laughs> it, it was a good topic looking for you. It was not bad. Um, and I was like, oh, sweet. This is a great opportunity for me to go build that relationship. But, uh, and so I give my door hangers to my group, and I run over to the park. And he actually let me play bocce with him, which is pretty cool. So I didn't really get an opportunity to talk about Jesus anymore, but I just built that relationship. And the fact that he wanted to see me again really meant I did something, I guess. So God used me to do something. So. I, I, I just was really encouraged by that. And that's the story I had to tell. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. <laughs> guys, God is cool. He's amazing. Um, and come to find out, we're sitting at the table as Joseph sharing the story, you know, and I would have loved to have been at that spot. I mean, the bocce court was so nice and big, and it's a part of our family. We do it all the time. I got to talk about building one. So. Okay. <laughs> I think you're right. We'll talk about that later. But no, God, I mean, guys, seriously, this is, I mean, when he was sharing this to the table, and we start looking at articles and stuff. This is Philip meeting the eunuch on the way to Gaza. I mean, guys, this is, I mean, t- could be such a divine appointment. Lou Fasciello ended up being in the Gambino crime family. This man on some websites is considered dead. We looked up stuff. Some people don't even think he's alive anymore. His brother Bruno was murdered during something back in the 90s with the mob and everything else. But all I'm saying is that God is his infinite wisdom and timing and strategy sending my son. It has nothing to do with Joseph. Joseph's just a vessel. He's the first to admit. He's very humble about this. Like that God used me to sow seeds into a man that could have an incredible impact on hundreds if not thousands of individuals. And he was like a man, as we talked, didn't think he deserved forgiveness. He could not be forgiven for what he had done or what he had been involved in. So Louis Fasciello will now be a part of our consistent prayer request, praying that God works on this man's heart. Think about the impact if God visited Louis Fasciello and truly had an encounter with God and the impact that could have in Staten Island. I mean, it's mind-boggling. No different than the eunuch and the Philip hanging out preaching about Isaiah and then the eunuch getting saved and going down to Ethiopia and transforming a continent the same thing. And the other ones, and all the conversations they've had, this is the God we serve. This is what he does. And we need to live our lives in such a way to expect this is the God we serve. And to know he can do these things. And it was simple obedience. Us, all they were doing was saying, Lord, as Patrick said, I yield myself. 
and I'm a vessel. Joseph had no clue who these guys were. He just saw two Italian men who needed Jesus. That's it. And be willing to ask some questions and talk. And then look at the impact it now could have. I mean, that's the God that we serve and the people that we all are. And we can experience all those on different levels. And just like what Cassie said, it's all about a heart that's willing to submit and say, God, here I am, send me. That's simple. One final thing as I close, and this is just another God wow factor, just fun stuff that God does. I'm sitting in last night in my chair, praying and studying, getting all this down, literally writing on the top of my page, you know, the visitation of God for Palm Sunday and God's divine appointments, and my phone rings, and it's my father. My dad right now is in Washington, D.C. at the American-Israeli Public Affairs Commission Conference, APAC. It's an annual event. It's one of the leading pro-Israel, bipartisan lobbying groups in the world that everyone comes in from all over the world. 20,000 people annually attend this, and about 300 are Christian. Okay? So we're talking a remnant that are showing up. And my father was one of 50 nine years ago who were the first Christians to ever attend this thing. Primarily secular Jews, but it's all pro-Israel, it's political and all this kind of stuff. But my dad has felt led by the Holy Spirit for nine years to go and just be what? An ambassador. Be salt, be light. He's got his little name tag that says Reverend Carmen Falcioni, pastor of the gathering or whatever. Rabbis come up to him and look at that and go, what are you doing here? That kind of stuff. So he calls me yesterday. My mom calls me earlier and said his flight was delayed hours at the Montgomery airport. There was no storms, nothing going on. Like, why would it be delayed that long in Montgomery? He missed his transferring flight to Atlanta, so he's going to be delayed there. This is all part of God's amazing plan, you guys. Delayed flight, delayed flight. He finally gets in to uh, D.C. Because of him being tired and all this and you know, the schedule being what it was, he thought, okay, just to get there a little early, I'm going to go read the paper and relax because I'm in a rush. I'm going to go ahead and get to the hotel, make sure everything's before my dinner with all the, with all the Christians, <laughs> 300, 300 elite. But, um, so he's just sitting there in the lobby before the dinner, just relaxing, reading the newspaper because of all the delays and getting there when he did. As he's reading, out of the blue, a gentleman walks up and says, excuse me, can I sit here and talk to you? And, my, and again, for most of us, what do you think my dad wants to do at that moment? I want to read that paper and just chill out. I mean, again, he even told me, he's like, son, oh, my God. He said, but I knew because my dad and I talked. He knew kind of what I was going to share and what the Lord was leading me. He said, I knew. He said, okay, Lord, divine appointment. <laughs> this is a God thing. Puts it down. And this gentleman from the University of Maine, 40 years old, works at the campus up there, just sat down out of the blue and said, can I ask you some questions? He saw his tag or whatever and just started unloading. He, and come to find out, he was a believer. He lost his arm in an accident many years ago. Anger with God, bitterness, turning away, rebellion, just said, I'm done, I'm angry, why is God this? Just vented on my dad, just bleh. So my dad went, okay, Lord, this is you. you know, just, so he started, started sowing truth and encouraging him and all this, just out of the blue. About 20 minutes into that conversation, another young lady walks up, college student, from the University of Alaska in Anchorage. Spiked hair, piercings everywhere, and tats all over. And my dad's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Like, Lord, I know you got things planned, but really? Okay. You got one guy vomiting on me, this girl who I don't know. But so she sits down and very, very simply says, do you mind, gentlemen, if I sit down and just talk with you guys? Can I sit here? Nothing led. I mean, I had no idea why. So she sits down. Her name's Amber. and just She just listens. So my dad's just 
encouraging the gospel and just building this guy back up and encouraging all this. And she's just, he's watching. She's just shaking her head and listening and all this. He has no, my dad has no idea where she is in the Lord or faith or anything. But she's just listening. And so toward the end of the conversation, about 30 minutes or so later, you know, they're back and forth. And he goes, Amber, he says to Amber, do you have any questions or anything? Because, oh, no, I'm just listening. It's, it's been good. You know, thank you. And she just sat there and listened. Didn't really say anything. But she showed up <laughs> for whatever reason. And so at the end of it, as Amber was still there, Roger got up and said, Carmen, this was a divine appointment of God. I needed this. He's, God set this up. Thank you. You know, I don't know what, you know, when I walked in, but I needed this. You really encouraged me. God has really renewed some things, restored some stuff in me to get back to Because he wasn't in church. He went around family. He wasn't around the body of Christ. Nothing. And he said, I, this was a renewal time. Thank you so much. And those two were going to a different event Still under the APAC umbrella, but a different thing. So my dad called me right after I said, son, you're not going to believe this. And he was so excited. But, and then what did that do to my dad? Woo, boy, was he charged. He's like, where are the rabbis? Bring them on. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you know, give me a little yarmulke. I can wear whatever I need. Get the little t- curls. But seriously, that used to, my dad was fired up. He wasn't tired anymore. I mean, he was physically, but he's like, he was ready. Because that's what he's excited. That's what I've been praying for him. We pray every year for this event. That God could use my father to reach one secular Jew. One. For the sake of the kingdom. Then it's worth that trip. Amen? One human being. So for us this week, as we just heard from these wonderful folks, ask God. Prepare yourselves. Be aware. This is a mission Sunday. we rejoicing about the king entering in. The king had a mission and it ended up there, and then it ended up him being ascended into glory. Amen? Resurrected. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week. But he knew what he was doing. He had a purpose from his father, and he was going to fulfill it. We have something this week, all of us, as we just read, that God has in store for us uniquely and individually. Ask him. Be aware. Ask the Holy Spirit. Lord, let my little spiritual antennas be in tune. We all have them. That discernment. Lead me as you want to. Guide me and direct me. Again, practical stuff, guys. I'm serious. It's this simple. As they just said, it's Easter week. You can ask anyone at your workplace, hey, got any Easter traditions? What do y'all do? Conversation's open. Gospel presented. Invite someone over to watch the Jesus film. I own the Passion of the Christ. I'll let you borrow it. Spark conversations. Watch a movie. Have someone over. It is easy this week. It really is. If there's a family member that's been struggling, they don't even have to be non-believers. They could be someone that you know that's struggling in their faith. Help get them back to being restored with the Lord. But you will have opportunities this week. You will. If not, proactively make them. (laughs) There's people you know that need Jesus this week. Right now, we could go across. Family members, co-workers, bosses, social settings, friends. We need to see this week for what it is. Twofold. We rejoice and recognize who he is and what he's done for us. And in turn, that needs to be said and spoken out and displayed for his kingdom's sake. Amen? So let's get launched this week as the praise team comes forth. If y'all please stand and just close your eyes and let's enter in for a moment. I just want to read this over you as a prayer. John Piper ended it with this, and it's just a good little thing. But even now, Lord, as we close our eyes, I pray specifically, Lord, that you would reveal individuals, maybe even just one this week, right now even, of a family member, a friend, a co-worker, something of, an, of somebody that doesn't know you, Jesus. Someone who's not saved, who right now is separated from you, who doesn't recognize or know your, your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, I pray that you would 
bring someone to mind that we can minister to. That we could be proactive. Invite someone out for coffee. Have someone over for tea or dinner. Ask the questions, God. It's worth it. Your glory and your worth, your praise is worth it. For us to go outside of ourselves, beyond our personality, beyond our contentment or our little comfort zones. You're worth it, God. As you wept over Jerusalem, I pray you do something internally in us that gives us a place of mercy and compassion that they would we, we would weep over people we know that don't know you, Jesus. You're worthy of that. And Lord, it says here, John expressed, Oh, that we would see and savor the beauty of Christ, the Palm Sunday tears of sovereign joy and the self-sacrificing love and obedience that took him every step of the way during Holy Week. And oh, that as we admire and worship Jesus this week, we would be changed by what we see and we would become more tenderly moved, more self-denying, and more need-meeting people. God, I pray we are in tune with your spirit this week, that we would seek you to know you, even in the midst of our fun and vacation and time with family, for some of us that may be doing that. But God, that we are always aware and that we recognize there are people that don't know you, that they need to know your love and grace. They need to see it displayed in our lives, but also need to hear it from our lips. We pray, God, I do, as shepherd here, for divine appointments in the name of Jesus across this congregation. For many people this week, as they encounter folks in so many different ways, God, that you would show up that a visitation of the Lord would come. That we would see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ this week. Because you are worthy. That's why you went to the cross. So we thank you, God, and we praise you that we get to participate in your work. We get to be a part of your kingdom plan. In Jesus' name.